0: It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow and feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello, team, and welcome back to the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Shane Walsh. Shane is an online health and fitness coach and the host of the very popular Shane Walsh podcast. Shane's story is incredibly inspiring. Unfortunately, in this episode, he was very open and vulnerable about the path that has led him to where he is today. He's an incredible example of how you can turn things around, even in your darkest moments. And it was great to hear about how he's been able to integrate his own challenges and learnings from those challenges into the way he coaches and educates today. In this episode, you can expect to learn what Shane's thoughts are on the most challenging moments of his life, what false nutrition beliefs most of us are still living by, along with Shane's take on toxic diet culture and Kim Kardashian squeezing into dresses. So without further ado, Shane Walsh. Shane Walsh, welcome to the show. How are you today? How are we, Elliot? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. The pleasure is truly mine. So for anyone who hasn't come across yourself or the work that you do, can you give us a little bit of background of who you are and what it is that you do?
1: Yeah. So I am an online coach and nutritionist based in Dublin, in Ireland. Uh, So my story is a little bit different compared to other people's getting into fitness. So I had a real job in the real world up until about 2017. So I was in sales. I tried sales. I tried recruitment. I tried banking. All these things up until about 2017. So I was in recruitment for about, in sales for about five or six years. And then I started a new job in April 2017. And that was on the Monday. And then on the Friday, uh, or on no, Saturday, I woke up with my left arm very, very swollen. So I drove into hospital, rang my mate, his now husband is a doctor. And he was like, well, you need to like drive into hospital. You need to go into hospital. Not drive into hospital because that was silly. But it out I had blood clots in my left arm so one was here just oh, kind of like on the trap and one was above the forearm but they couldn't find the one up at the trap and the only way that she found it uh, the amazing doctor that was there was if she put my arm out straight at a certain angle so it looked like I was doing a certain salute from a certain political party in the past and she had the kind of like the the equipment that they use on pregnant women in order to find it and um, so you can actually see the image of it it was like it was thick and dark so I had to go and get surgery. Uh, get, and I was awake for the surgery. They put dye into your veins and they put a balloon on the end of a camera and they open up the veins that way. So you're awake for it. The camera's right beside you. You're just shielded off from what they're doing. Um, And I was in hospital for a week and then went back into work two weeks later and I collapsed at my desk within half an hour with fluid on my lungs. So I fell into a very, very dark place, very, very dark spiral and lost about 10 kg in about six weeks. I just couldn't eat, just fell into a very, very dark place. And uh, yeah, I was about one week away from doing something very silly. Um, I'd even bought the sleeping tablets. And then luckily I'd never listened to a podcast in my life. And then I heard, on how I even came across it, but Brian Keynes, so I know you've had Brian on, and Brian said something like, Uh, stop caring what other people think and that line just threw me off and I was like right I rang my dad and said right I actually need to go and talk to someone so I went into therapy for about six months weekly for about six months and yeah here I am now and started doing Joe Weeks to kind of keep my head sane kind of get fitter and then went traveling and then four and a half years later here we are with the business. Um, I coach predominantly female. I do coach lads as well, but predominantly female, trying to get them away from the IO dieting background, improvement on cycles, menstrual health, PCOS, endometriosis, all that kind of stuff. And then we have the, the Shame Wash podcast, which is out about episode 263 or 64 I went out this morning. So I've been lucky to have Amazing guests. I know there's a lot of overlap between the guests that we had. So yeah, the podcast's been amazing. And yeah, it's it's allowed me to link in with amazing individuals. So yeah, very fortunate. And then I have my amazing group of clients, which is called Team SWF, which uh
0: yeah, it's it's amazing to work with individuals. That's inspiring. I mean, a four years is not a long frame of time from to go from rock bottom, essentially, to where you are today, which is in a very, very positive position. So obviously, I'm not going to dive into every single part of those last four years, but that six-month transition, what did that look like? Because that must have been super hard to essentially pull yourself out of that dark place and get to a position where you were able to proactively ask for help. And then that process of getting help, it doesn't just mean you're immediately better. That's a big process. I'm keen to just dive into what that looked like for you.
1: Yeah. So I was, I was really lucky. Like my parents and my brother, um, and my mates were really, really amazing. I got to always remember one of my mates, um, he just bought a house at that time and it was a doer upper. So his way of getting me out of bed and out of the house was actually get me to come out and help him with the house, paint the house and all that kind of stuff. But it got, it was kind of like, you know, when you're, doing you know, you're helping people's house, doing up their houses, you're kind of having normal informal chit chat. It's the radios on the back and you're having cups of tea. You're taking breaks, just chilling out in the back garden. It was that informal chat that was kind of like able to talk about things. Like he knew I was off. My best mate knew I was off. Parents knew I was off. But they—you also can't force someone to go into therapy. And I needed to do that. And then I remember talking with my dad, and he—I never knew this about him. Because I think it happened when I was maybe thirteen or fourteen. So something happened at work, and he actually uh, had a situational depression bout as well uh, through something that happened at work, and he was put on medications. Like, oh, medications didn't agree with me. They're amazing for some people They just didn't agree with me. I couldn't talk. I like the button on the screen here is red. It was great to me. And seeing someone who you put up on a pedestal, like you think your parents are unbreakable. You think your dad in particular is like unbreakable. So to hear that he had those struggles made us almost kind of like told me that it's okay to feel it's okay to be not okay. I hate that saying, but it's okay to be able to talk. It's okay, And that brought us closer Um, At the same time, like I gave up booze. Like I haven't drank in five years. It wasn't any alcohol issue. I just couldn't deal with the lows from the alcohol. Um, I'd be quite an all or nothing person and like type A personality and like. If I was going out, I'd go hard, but I wouldn't, like I'd drink once a week and go hard, but I wouldn't be drinking at home or whatever. I thought it was nothing like that, but I, it was kind of putting myself first, like taking a step back and working with the Sharon, who was the the therapist. And she came from a fitness background. She was actually an ex-bodybuilder. Herself, so that was really interesting. We got talking. She had kids, and she was she's very no nonsense, which I think why I'm no nonsense. Clients, I, I think I won't. i call people out in a nice way, but I uh, will make people challenge things. Um, so it was about challenging the narrative. It was about challenging those stories, and a lot of it was a uh, 99.9 of it was all absolutely fictional stories that I created in my head. Um, and I have tools now that I use. Uh, I dip in and out of them. I'm in a safer place now. Once I have my sleep, I'm indestructible. Once my sleep goes. Uh, which is rare, I feel it in my head. So the sleep, setting a routine with sleep, setting a a walking routine, having wholesome, nutritious food, having ice cream every day uh, was the the life. Ice cream
0: saved me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, i can imagine it's got some life-saving prophecies in it and i'm intrigued was that your first encounter with mental health challenges when you had all the physiological stuff that took place or was this something that was present in your life as you were going through your 20s and beforehand
1: i never got an answer to why i got the blood clots so i would say it's for like a for me to kind of like accept it I put it down to generally being unhappy. Like I got severely bullied in primary school and a lot of secondary school. So I was severely bullied and the self-esteem was down and self-worth was down. I know they're two very different things, but that was brewing for quite a while and then I just imploded in 2017. So I suppressed things for so long and was unhappy with a career that I didn't want to do. There was a breakup probably about 18 months before I got sick, didn't deal with it. And just a combination of things just imploded. And I would say that's why I got sick. I'm glad I got sick because it also got me out of that funk.
0: Of course. Yeah.
1: So it was the worst and best thing to
0: happen. Yeah. And I think people who can come through the other side of that and say those things is it's crazy and uh, and inspiring at the same time because there's the other side of the coin, which could have been the end of your life, which is tragic to hear. But the other side of that is you coming out the other side and being empowered by your story now, even though it was something that was probably horrendous at the time as well. So on that note as well, you mentioned you hate the phrase, it's okay to... Not it's okay to not be okay. I can't. I don't know why I can't get that phrase out right now. But is there any reason for that? uh I just think it's
1: very generic and very flippant. I think it's it's a it's a marketing motto. I do think it's important for everyone to talk. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has processes things differently. Everyone has the ability to talk to things if they want, but a lot of people hold on to things. I don't think we need to justify to be able to talk. I think we just need to be have that safe place where we can talk so I think it's about creating that and that would look different for me that would look different for you like some people haven't been taught how to deal with their emotions and one of the things is when we're kids if you're told to be quiet when you're crying or you're told to not deal with things when you're a kid that kind of goes on into adulthood and you're never actually taught so if your parents through no fault of their own have never been shown how to care or to cry or to deal with the highs and lows that's going to have a knock-on effect to you so I'm probably the other extreme now in that I will talk to things. I'll always ring my mate. Like if I go missing for about two days, my mate will ring me and say, what's up? So, because I talk to my mates every day, I talk to my girlfriend every single day. And generally you'll know within about 30 seconds if I'm off. It's just one of the, I think it's just, I, I, I support the campaign 100%. I just think it's a little bit flippant. And I don't think enough people know how to, or how to start talking. And that's the bit that I think Creating that safe place. How to create a safe place? What a safe place looks like. There are amazing charities out there. There are amazing mental health support people out there that I think are under resourced, underpaid, and under supported. So yeah, I just that's my opinion. But I know it's it's a campaign. It's a campaign for a reason. But that's my that's my opinion
0: on it. No, it's good to know. And do you feel that sometimes I reflect and think that the lessons that we're given are sometimes very harsh and sometimes they're very light and sometimes we can get to the same place regardless of the severity of the lesson. You were given one huge wake-up call. Do you think you would have come to this place where you are without the situation happening the way it did? Or do you think it could have been any other way? I can't say for a fact, would it be any other way? But
1: I would like to say to myself, and another way for me to justify what happened is that if it hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't be here. I've had I had suicidal thoughts through teens and stuff like that as well so it wasn't the first time it just came to add so I, I, I think unfortunately people need to go through pain pain trauma is is generational it goes through I think that's why the Irish can understand what's going on in the Ukraine right now I'm not trying to bring in the war by the way but we can relate to what's going on right now their country's been invaded without their permission their p- their fa- their families have been uprooted there's mass emigration to different countries and the country's getting destroyed. That's what the UK and the, the, the royal rule or whatever like that did in the past in Ireland. And that trauma can be generational and gets passed on. So I think bad things, if you've ever read a book called The Happiness Trap, um, in The Happiness Trap, they talk about that we can't have the good times if we can't have the low times. Because we don't know what the difference is between the two. So we appreciate things more when we have had the lower times. And in order to go through life, like we think life, a lot of people do think life is like a Disney film. It's this straight line of progress. Nothing ever is going to happen to them. But then when something happens to so they may not have the tools and the arsenals haven't been taught, they haven't been taught how to talk, haven't talked how to communicate, haven't taught how to deal with it. There are, there's horrific things that happen, like... The likes of sexual abuse, the likes of getting raped, there's the likes of pedophilia. There's loads of horrible, horrible things. Even the thing in America last night with the uh, shooting, like that's going to have a knock on effect. And that's where that argument kind of falls. It's like, why does that need to happen in order for something good to happen? I don't know the answer, but for me, for my own
0: personal, I don't believe I'd be here if I hadn't got sick. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that thought process in the happiness trap and It sounds like you subscribe to it as well, that you need the dark in order to appreciate the light. Is that something that you genuinely fully live by? Because I've had my back and forth with that thought process. I know that my own therapist has challenged my beliefs on that as well. So I'm intrigued to get your take on why you've landed there after, I'm sure, a lot of reflection on that topic. I think for me, it's a way for me to justify What had happened? I don't like. I never got an answer to what had
1: happened. I just cling on to that belief, and a belief is a thought. A thought isn't a fact; it's an opinion, and that's the way for me to justify what happened to myself in order for me to process it and to accept it. And acceptance looks like different things to different people. But for me, that I'm at peace with that justification or bias for for myself, and people are entitled to dissect it and dig into it and challenge it. But I think in order to be able to fully understand something fully, you need to be able to argue both sides. So like, I understand where the, the therapist is coming from in relation to be able to challenge it and that things happen and they may not happen or whatever they're, they're talking about. But for me, it gives me a sense of clarity. It gives me a sense of acceptance. It gives me a sense of being able to move on to the next chapter. And that's for me, like someone else can come in and try to derail it, but that's just me saying right this is that's a closed book let's move on to the next chapter that version of me in 2017 is one chapter doesn't mean it's the whole story the story has very differently changed in the last four and a half years or um or yeah five years now since i got sick and that five years is very different each year has brought its own challenges am i immune to challenges now Uh, Like self-employed, you're always second-guessing yourself. You always want this product to go out and be the greatest thing of all time. You always want a podcast to get the best reaction ever possible. But for me, it just gives me solace.
0: It gives me acceptance. It gives me peace and clarity. That's that's what that saying goes for me. It sounds like it serves you very well indeed. So across the past four and a half, five years, how has health and fitness made a difference in your life? Where did that come into the fold? Was it prior to your health challenges or did this really all really kick off following that? So I used to play
1: football and GAA, which is the Irish uh, football. I used to play soccer and Irish football uh, when I was a kid and then chose soccer. For years, I went to a fancy school um, and that was a rugby school, but I wasn't allowed to play soccer at the school. So I, play, I tried to play rugby. I was, was too small for rugby. I just didn't want to get broken. So I always played something and then I was up until my 20s and stuff like that. And then I stopped, kind of wanted to go out and socialize and have my 20s and stuff, kind of mid 20s. And then I kind of lost my way with fitness, put on a good bit of weight. And then I was kind of, I don't know, listening to podcasts or something or just looking up what he could do. Like I tried insanity. So I basically had a an angry man shouting at me on a screen. So I bought I got the videos and then I got Joe X. so he could watch it on YouTube. So I did those and got really into it, got really, really fit. Like probably the fittest I ever was. Like my old football manager always jokes like, Well, I wish you were like this when you were in your twenties. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I was always into it, but I think It gave me a place in relation to be able to help people. And I think that's always something that I had in my head. I was like wanting to help people. I just didn't know what the avenue was. And I think being able to, if I can get into some sort of shape, anyone can get into some sort of shape. And shape is different to every single individual. Like I don't want to be a six-pack Pete. That's not my goal. My goal is to be able to function mentally in order to be able to do three sessions a week and try and get a run in the odd time and walk every day. That's literally what fitness is to me. But my mental health is number one on my fitness block. If that's playing ball, the rest is easy. Does it happen every time? No. I tend to, like if if stress comes in, I tend to just focus on getting the walks in. Uh, I struggle to eat. So some people will overeat when they get stressed. I tend to under eat when I get stressed. So I have a little alerts on my phone to eat. But for me, the, it gave me a clarity, it gave me a calling. Um, as cheesy as that sounds to be able to help individuals and it just allows me to yeah be able to help people i think that's an important thing because there's a lot of bullshit out there and i just want to decipher it
0: preach so on the note <laughs> of uh your ability to help people you've decided predominantly not exclusively but predominantly to focus on female fat loss where did that choice come from so when I went into, first started being a
1: PT in one of the main chain of ch- gyms in, in Dublin, the, a lot of the people who were doing classes were females. And they were asking the same questions after all the classes. They're like, well, why am I tired at this age? Why am I getting cravings? Any idea? Blah, blah, blah. So I kind of did a little bit of research into it. So I ended up watching like, I remember the first lecture I I watched was like a three-hour lecture on the menstrual cycle. And what happens at different stages? So I went in deep, and then did a nutrition course, and then I just I've learned through the podcast, learned to listen to all the podcasts, loads of books, and just fell in love with. It. I was like, well, if this is happening for one person, fifty one percent of the population are women. That means there's something to this, and it just it's just struck a chord. Like like my mom never struggled with her weight or anything like that, or it was more so being able to provide an education. And a resource that was potentially free at the beginning. Give out content to those individuals so that they can learn. The podcast is a great way to have a chat and learn all that kind of stuff. And just got addicted to kind of like the learning side of things. Like I in school, I was told I was stupid by three different teachers. I latched on that. So didn't do a very good Leaving search, which is your A-levels. Yeah. So it didn't do a very good one. But then I got a master's at the end of it and have the business and I never stopped learning so I got tested for ADHD and everything I was like no Shane just doesn't find this interesting so he's not going to want to learn it that was my issue was the application so I I found something that I was interested in so I was going to learn it and now I was trying to
0: divulge that information out there. Yeah, learning becomes so much easier when you just find what you're interested in. I think that's one of the biggest lessons you could possibly take away. And, you know, if anyone who's listening who has children and they find that they're not particularly good or not even good, but an attentive student, I think it's probably highly like they're just not interested in that topic, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like does with
1: ADHD. They may have attention deficit disorder in something, but they're interested in something. So it's finding what that something is. It could be numbers. It could be computer games. It could be Warhammer. It could be whatever it may be. Ooh. It's about finding their interest and trying to get them tested out. So I love when my clients, who are a lot of them have kids, they're getting their kids to try out loads of different sports. It may pull them uh, a little bit left, right, and center, try and get them to 20 different training sessions a week. But it's allowing the kid to make a choice at the end of it. And and if they're good enough at something, it's like, well, let's pick soccer or let's pick dancing or whatever. Maybe let the kid choose. If the kid doesn't enjoy something. They're going to half-arse it. If you're good at something or you feel you enjoy it properly and it's something for you, then
0: go for it. Like no one else has the right to tell you it's not for you hundred percent. And you mentioned there's a lot of BS in the industry that you're trying to decipher. And you mentioned there was a lot of conversations you were getting after those classes. So what are some of the key nutrition beliefs that you find that both men and women, maybe particularly you hear from women that they're living by living by right now that are probably false in your eyes? I think the big one is in relation to
1: carbohydrates. I think that a lot of the myths out there or a lot of companies have put out like labels onto foods like sins and free foods and what other words are out there, but uh, or cheat days or whatever it may be. And carbohydrates generally gets a, a bad rep. People think that carbohydrates will make them fat. It's not the case. What I would always say to a client is, right, if you don't have carbohydrates, you probably won't ovulate. And if you don't ovulate, you won't be able to have a kid. And once you say it that way to them, not in a dickhead way, but say it to them or break it down that way and actually educate them and say, well, your body's primary source or wanted primary source of energy is carbohydrates. So when we get tired, I'm going to bring it down to like, if when we get tired or we get hung over, have you ever thought of why we're looking for more carbohydrates at that time? It's because our brain kicks in and it tells us. To get the quickest source of energy into our body, that's why we crave those foods at certain times. You don't necessarily crave carbs, you crave the energy into your body because you're tired or you're stressed or whatever maybe that's essentially what's going on. If we don't have carbs, we don't have energy. If women don't have carbs, they may not have a cycle. if, women do, if you don't have carbs, either gender, you may be not, may not be able to function. you may not be able to enjoy your training sessions, you may not be able to run. Like people will talk about keto and the massive benefits of that. like keto is amazing in the right hands, but keto was designed for epileptic kids people aren't aware of that and that has had some signs to help epileptic kids but it shouldn't be the goal for you to try and remove a food and a fad diet with scott bapti you've had on he talks about fad diets as food avoidance diets well a food avoidance diet sounds like a death sentence rather than actually something that you can stick to so why not try to have some carbs some protein some fats some chocolate every single day because you're a much nicer person with them in your life, and every time you try to take them out, you derail yourself. You press the all or nothing, you press the fuck a button buttons, Paul germany says, or you stop and give up. It's not the carbohydrates' fault. For and generally, when people have a food guilt around something, it's not the food that's the issue. Generally, it's the how we feel about ourselves being projected onto the actual food itself. And food guilt means you've done something wrong. Well. If I'm enjoying my friends' time and at a meal out, having a pizza, having a few drinks, and that's wrong, But well, I don't know what right is. The other one that kind of comes in is the, the labels of good, bad foods. Foods aren't don't have any morals. A carbohydrate or a, a piece of bread isn't going to come in and kidnap your kids. It has no morals, and um, that's me belittling what that thought is, but that's me taking the piss out of it. But that's the truth. Food doesn't have a moral compass. We attach the meaning to things. We attach the meaning to the scales. We attach the meaning to the food. And then the other thing, the other belief is that we can't have our favorite foods. Well, if you try and take out chocolate for most genders and sexual orientations um, and women and men and all that kind of stuff, if you actually take out the favorite foods, generally life becomes fairly tough. So why not say to yourself, I'm going to have some chocolate. And I I, I always get my clients after they finish up and, or, and get them to ask their, their partners or whatever it may be and says, are you happier with chocolate in your life? Are you a nicer person? And their partner will always go, yes. So you cutting a foods has an impact on other people, has an impact on you, has an impact on your mental health, has an impact on everything else. So like there's no such thing as good for food, bad foods. Carbs won't make you fat. They're worth the same amount of calories as protein. And then having your favorite foods daily. I have ice cream every single day. It's like a soul food. Rather than calling it a good or bad food, call it a soul food. It's good for the soul. And that was Leanne Ward who was on the podcast. She came up with that. She was like, it's good for the soul. The nourishes the soul. So why not include it? More of that, because you only crave, a craving is generally a nutritional deficiency or you've cut something out. And we don't crave certain foods. What happens is we generally crave how they make make us feel. So if you cut out chocolate, you're going to crave it. If you tell yourself you can't have it, you're going to have it. Think of the big red button. If you tell yourself you're not going to press that big red button, you're going to press the big red button and it's the exact same with chocolate. So if you're counting calories and someone's listening to this, at the beginning of the day, what I'd probably try to do is enter in the chocolate or the Chris into your MyFitnessPal at the beginning of the day. So then you just work your way back and adjust your budget that way. That's that's an oversimplified version, but I know I've seen it work with clients who have used that tool, that right, you're spending bag of Tato or bag of King or whatever it is, 130 calories. 130 calories is the same as chicken fillet, not the same Mm -hmm. nutritional value, but it's 130 calories and you could be eating 1800 calories. The other one is 1200 calories, the one that people go to. 1200 calories for those who potentially are smaller in height and all that kind of stuff may have a point but generally a lot of people go for 1200 calories because my fitness pal they've entered in two pounds of weight loss into my fitness pal but they're setting up their foundations on a matchsticks rather than setting it up layer by layer addressing the habits addressing the behavior the really unsexy stuff that no one actually wants to deal with so going for 1200 calories is every other time you try to do it you failed so it's not, it's not the 12-minute calories that's failing. It's the approach that's generally failing for you. So I wouldn't beat yourself up too much if you keep trying to go for it and trying to do it, but you need to learn the lesson eventually that it's not going to suit you and it's not suiting you right now.
0: So probably trying to adjust it that way. And on the note of the favorite food side of things, I think that that's uh, definitely some good advice for people to take on board is to implement the foods that you enjoy. But most of the reason the clients will come to us is because they do have a... a f- perhaps this is probably the best word I can use for a dysfunctional relationship with food and especially the foods that they are particularly calling their favorite foods. And you mentioned earlier that you had quite an all or nothing personality. And I find that if I was just to tell every single person who was interested in weight loss today to eat their favorite foods and put them in their plan, they wouldn't be able to stop at one packet of crisps or one chocolate bar. So, where do we go from there? Because I'm sure there's a bit of a, a scale towards working in those foods on a day-to-day basis without having those, <laughs> Shane told me I've got 1800 calories, so I'm going to have 1500 of chocolate and I'm going to have 300 of protein. So yeah, let me yeah, let me hear what you do about that type of kitchen.
1: It's a great question um, because people will take the piss. People always take the piss. They always try to push things to the extreme. Like if you're in a deficit and your deficit is potentially 1,800 calories and you eat 1,800 calories of chocolate and that's your deficit, you will probably lose weight. You will not feel amazing doing it. Um, would I encourage it? No. But generally, when I talk about that with clients, generally what comes up a lot would be fear. Fear of being able to control themselves, fear of having it in the house or fear of putting on weight. So fear is generally what, what it means is false evidence appearing real. Okay, so generally you try to dissect the fear. Where have they learned that fear from? Because generally food guilt. So food guilt comes from somewhere. You can only you've learned it once. You can unlearn it. So you ask them what the fear is. So the typical example would be, I'm afraid I lose control. Okay, so then the question is, are you eating chocolate right now? And they're going, no. Okay, so you can stop if you want. But they're like, well, I have it in the house. It's like, well, every time you have it in the house, you're going to overeat it because it's not in the house all the time. So why not try to allow ourselves a daily allowance of chocolate? If you go over it, nothing really happens. If you go under it, nothing really happens. But if you tell yourself that you can't have something, you're going to implode. It's human nature. If you look, if someone wants to Google the marshmallow test, that's the way to do it. They did studies. They got kids into a room and they told told the kids that put a marshmallow onto a table, I think it was, and they got the... uh, the kids to go into the room and told them, if you don't have this marshmallow, I'll give you two marshmallows at the end of it. And the studies revealed that the majority of them ate it. And those who didn't eat the marshmallow, who got the two at the end, were actually higher achievers uh, and had better careers and all that kind of stuff. But if you tell someone that's really not going to have something or tell them, if you tell yourself you're not going to have something, um, you're generally going to have it anyway. So and normally another fear would be, well, I'm going to put on weight. And then it's important to dissect, well, why is putting on weight such a higher value in your life? Why is your weight so important? Well, and the answer will come back was because I've struggled with my weight for a long time. But why is your weight so important? Because I want to be accepted. So then it's coming back to a validation point of view that you believe or you've had comments in the past when you've lost weight and you got a nice comments about how you looked and how you felt, or you felt and the losing the weight is back to get those nice comments to get that validation. But if we turn that on its head, it's like, well, why are you waiting for other people's validation? Why can't you give yourself credit for what you're doing? Because you got the validation from the other people. It made you nice and warm and fuzzy, but you didn't necessarily believe it. But if they made a negative comment to you, you would believe it because that's confirmation bias. If you tell yourself a story over and over again and someone says, someone else says it, you're going to latch onto it. Like, that's the truth. But if I call you, Elliot, a purple monkey dishwasher, you're not going to, like, that's not going to be that's not going to register. But if I said something about your, about your appearance or your personality that you're insecure about, you'll latch onto that. But then you're looking for that validation from the other individual in order to bring you out of that or to pull you out of it. But realistically, you're the only one that can really give you the validation. And the studies would show that those who are more self-compassionate to themselves would have a lot better success with long-term keeping the weight off than those who do it out of pure hatred for themselves. There are people who have low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, loads of different things. And those people, I would strongly encourage people to go and talk to the individuals and to specialists on that side of things. Self-esteem is basically what you believe other people think of you. Is essentially what it is. You're living your life for other people rather than living the life for yourself. And that was what I had. I had very, very low self-esteem. Do I get caught back into it the other time? Yes. But you hear that sense of, "Well, well, Elliot doesn't really care what I had for breakfast. Elliot doesn't really care what I had for lunch. So why am I caring so much? And then people have this fear of like if they're out for meals and i have this anxiety. Well, if I have this pizza, people will be like, what well, this pizza, they'll be like, they'll tell them the story of, well, I oh, she had this pizza. So this is what um this is what's got me into gaining the weight. No, that's the confirmation bias talking again. That's the self-esteem talking about again. One pizza or one meal will not put fat onto anyone. One meal or one pizza won't. Lose fat for anyone. So it's more about that acceptance thing. It's that projection thing. It's that fear thing: fear of not being accepted, fear of not being wanted, fear of not being able to live up to societal standards, and the fear of not having the food in the house or having the food in the house. It's not working. So why not allow yourself? If you go to Aldi, because these I think they're like, I think there's six bars or five bars in the smaller bars. I think there's like four squares. Um, I think each each squares each one of those four blocks is 220 calories. I think. So that's a simple way of having them into the house of like, right, I'm going to have 220 calories of chocolate every single day. If you eat it earlier in the day, sometimes I do this with have chocolate every day for breakfast. I put it into my porridge and people are like, you're weird. I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm happy. So cool story, bro. But why not try to have it earlier in the day rather than having it later at night? So most people will be like, won't eat enough during the day and then eat an awful lot in the evening. That's what a lot of people would do. So why not have the chocolate earlier in the day? Trick the mind saying, right, you're actually having the chocolate here. So you're accepting you can have the chocolate and you're building that up over time. Where people will lose control, it's generally an eating disorder. So there's a massive difference between binge eating and emotional eating. So binge eating, you have no control and it's an outer body experience and you can't stop if you don't want to, or even if you wanted to. Emotional leading is more so in line with you can stop, but you choose not to because the emotion that's present is overwhelming and you don't want to deal with it. Perfect example of that will be stress or trauma or loneliness or grief. They'll be the probably the main ones that would come up with people. And when people are chilling out in the evening, their mind is racing, they're worrying about work, all this kind of stuff, worrying about finance, all that kind of stuff. And that's where they're having the downtime. So they're worrying about that side of things. And that's where the food will come in to in order to soothe that. You've trained yourself to... And food is comfort. Every single one of us uses food as a comfort, but no one's immune to that. So it's not the food you're craving. It's, the, it's how that food is making you feel. It's when you have chocolate, it reminds you of a good time. It reminds you of a warm, happy time. And your brain kicks in and says, I need this chocolate to deal with this. But each time you have that chocolate, the next day you do it, you're probably going to need more chocolate to light up the centers of the brain for your dopamine and your endorphin hit and your happy hormones, your reward hormones to work. So each time you do it, you're probably going to need more and more and more. So it's not craving the chocolate, it's craving how it makes you feel afterwards. And that fleeting light relief that it gives you doesn't last for a very long time. And then you need more in order to deal with it. That's why you keep going back for more. So hopefully
0: that answers the question. <laughs> it very much does in a really comprehensive way. And on that note, we've touched on fad diets quite a few times now. And I know that you put on some pretty alarming stats on your Instagram page recently. Can you run us through those stats and give us you, your opinion on those? Uh,
1: yeah. So the stats, I, I've heard, I, I saw these and they were quite scary. So on average, women will try... 125 fad diets in their lifetime. They'll last on average for 19 days. That's one nine days. They'll spend six years of their life trying to lose weight. And on average, they'll spend about 25,000 euro pounds or dollars on trying to lose weight in their lifetime. So if you have a kid that's six years old, it's basically the whole lifetime of your kids that you've been trying to lose weight. So that's going for fad diets. That's going for food avoidance diets. That's going for those quick fixes. A lot of us don't want to deal with our emotions. A lot of us don't want to deal with their stuff. It's not sexy. It's not, it's painful. I'm not going to tell anyone that it's not painful. And uh, there will be tears, all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of looking at it from approach and saying, well, the approach that's being taken over and over again hasn't really worked. So what needs to change? The common denominator will be the individual. So let's look at try and changing the behaviours changing the outcome changing the the food association the perfect example would be if you're stressed if someone's stress eating it's trying to figure out well why do you stress eat what does it do for you where did you learn this skill why why where did you learn this habit why do we do it and it's like well let's try and identify the trigger if we know why you do something it's a hell of a lot easier if we don't know why you do something it's it, nothing can really change so it's identifying that trigger remember a gun can't go off without a trigger so we need to identify that trigger for the individual and every single one is completely different. You dig into where it actually comes from. It's like, well, food is a reward from parents where food was taken off them um, when they were bold and given to them when they were good. And that's, they reward themselves in the evening. And I'll talk about, we're going to talk about toxic diet culture in a sec, but it links in with that. And it's kind of, the stats are quite scary. I think an awful lot of people are scared to actually invest in themselves because if they invest in themselves, it's kind of like, oh, well, now I have to step up now I have to put the effort in. Now I have to actually put the uh, deal with my stuff. And that's the really, really hard part part for a lot of people. If people buy cars, buy headphones, buy a laptop, there's no real emotional attachment to it. But when it comes to looking after your health and your fitness, it comes down to you. It comes down to your actions, your output and process that's going to get you to go. And if you don't have those in order, then no, nothing's really, really going to change. And that's really, really hard for a lot of people. And we put our self-worth or our self esteem, when we kind of try to lose weight on top of things, and the fear voice comes in. Like, well, what happens if this doesn't work? Well, what happens if it does work? Why not try that? Why not change the approach? Why not reach out to someone who you think is going to aid you? Like that—that—that that, that text message is the hardest thing to do, or that DM, or that application form. It's so hard to do. I'm not trying to belittle that in any way, but and it takes courage to do that. So if someone's doing this and they're right, they're, they're, they've been hovering over the form or whatever it is, just press send. Send DMs to, to coaches who message aligns with you and trying to figure figure that out and see whose message aligns with you and see if they're a nice person. Are they going to put you on keto or are, they, are you going to become keto Karen? Are you going to be Slim word Sharon? Or are you going to be the person that you think you want to become? Look at your processes rather than their total outcome because weight loss isn't going to be in a straight line, but your processes over time will get you to your goal.
0: And where do the people who are on number 126 of their next approach, let's not call it a fad diet. Let's say they finally find the coach that they think might have the solution to their challenges. Where do they find that courage from to reach out? Where do they find that belief in themselves? Because that's what I find. It's like a lot of the time when I have clients who work for me, it's kind of last chance saloon. It's like almost like I've done absolutely everything. And if it doesn't work, you know, just I'm done here. So do you have any advice for people in that position? I think it comes back to one of your
1: earlier questions. You're at that lowest point. So in order to get you back to your higher point, you have to have appreciated the lower point and said, right, I've tried the X, Y, and Z. This hasn't worked. So let's actually dig into actually what's going on. The biggest piece of advice is reach out to someone. My um, biggest piece of advice is have you got you time booked into your day? So most individuals will wing things. They're like, well, I think I'm a training session. But if I look at your calendar right now and you've said you're too busy, if I look at your calendar right now, nothing's going to be on it. Or there's going to be A whole lot of meetings or a whole lot of stuff for the kids. Where is Karen's time into that calendar? So most people will be like, Well, I want weight loss. Okay. Okay, weight loss is a great goal. One five hundred percent muscle gain is a great goal. But why do you want weight loss? Well, I want to feel better in my clothes. Why do you want to feel better into your clothes? Because I there's a dress I want to get into. Why do you want to get into that dress? Because I want to wear it to a wedding and a boy I fancy is going to be at that wedding. If you have your why, you will fit, you will know what are you are going to do? I had a breakthrough with a couple of the clients last week on their why. They weren't clear on their why at the beginning. I probably took them about five or six weeks of reflection to dig in and tears were had. And it found out that a lot, an awful lot of people's whys when it comes to it is if someone's coming from an overweight background, is like their kids. If I don't sort out my eating or if I don't look at my health or bring my cholesterol down or find out what's going on with my thyroid or my PCOS, I'm not going to be here for my kids. If you have an emotional why, it's a hell of a lot easier because most people rely on motivation to get them to where they want to go. But like before we came on, I didn't want to go to the gym. I actually sent a text to my girlfriend. I was like, I really don't want to do this. But I feel a hell of a lot better for it. And it woke me up. It got me G'd up for this. feel a sense of achievement for doing it. But I know why I wanted to do that session because I haven't been able to train for about five months because I haven't been able to breathe properly for about five months. Not COVID related, but I know my why now is because I haven't been able to do it. I now want to enjoy it. I've taken a slowly, slowly approach, three sessions a week, brought in a run like yesterday for the first time. But I know why I want to do something. I know what's important for me. If you know your why, you'll, you'll almost bear with anyhow. And that's Victor Frankl, I think, from his amazing book, um, one of his amazing books. So yeah, I think it's important to have the why. Look at the focus on the process rather than pure outcome uh, is is a really, really important. And be prepared to kind of like have days where you're not really wanting to do things. And they're the days that you potentially need to say to yourself, like, what do I
0: need right now? And that may be just chill out. That may be just sleep. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm intrigued. You said something a little while ago when we we're talking about those fad diets and obviously the client who's involved or the individual who takes part in whichever approach they're going for, whether their goal is to build muscle, improve their health, or drop body fat. And I'm intrigued, when do you know if the lowest common denominator is in fact yourself or you're just picking a bunch of the wrong diets? How do you know which one is the key to your your issue? Because my initial idea leans towards the individual. But if you are on something that's super unproductive and just impossible to stick to how do you know whether it's you or whether it was actually the diet
1: i would say all diets work i'm gonna say that all diets work like keto works uh, intermittent fasting works slimming world works Weight Watchers works but if the because it all brings someone into a caloric deficit it's just wrapped differently and if you're in a caloric deficit you'll lose weight if you're in a caloric surplus you'll gain weight so if you've managed to lose the weight and then put it back on A few times, then it could be a case of that it could be down to the individual having not looked at the behaviors that have gotten to that pattern, not willing to address the emotions behind it, willing to, or having a big enough why. Like if someone wants to do an eight week cut for a holiday, amazing. But if someone's coming from a background where they've tried X, Y, and Z and they've had, a short-term fix when it's a long-term issue, then it's probably down to the coping mechanism, the individual and the behaviors and the mentality behind the individual. So that's probably where it comes from. But all diets do work. I know there's a stat of like 95% of diets don't work, but that's from one paper in 1949. And we're all very quick in fitness to like pigeonhole ourselves with some sort of like identity or latch onto something. Like diets do work. It's generally... It can come down to lack of education, which I do think needs to be improved massively. I don't think there's an education system in the school. Like I was talking about something on it with a client this morning about how to actually read a nutrition label. She's tracking calories for the very, very first time because uh, we've actually addressed the emotional side of things. And she was tracking a steak and she's like, it's 125 calories. I was like, okay, so take out the packet out of the bin. Look at what the weight is on the actual packet. She was like, well, there's two steaks for like 425 grams on the packet. I was like, okay, so split that into two. So it's 225 grams and you've entered it in as 100 grams. Something small, so small over time could add up, but it's something small and minute and looking at making her, allowing her to read the label and say, I never got taught this. I was like, yeah, but
0: you're in safe hands now. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And on that note, let's uh, take a swift transition onto toxic diet culture. Can you give us your opinion on that and how it's currently impacting both women and men on the health fitness journeys? Yeah, I'm glad you said both
1: genders. And I know there's other genders as well, uh, so I don't want to forget them. So I think like toxic diet culture is has an impact on. Those are on health and fitness journeys, But the belief is basically that your appearance and shape are more important than your mental or your physical health. That's generally what toxic diet culture is. There was a certain celebrity that came out a couple of weeks ago after wearing a certain dress and that was the epitome of toxic diet culture. She was, we don't know what her struggles are. I'm in the middle on this. We don't know if she has struggled with her food or body image. If you look at any paper when she looks well, I'm going with Kim Kardashian, by the way. If Kim Kardashian looks amazing, she gets put into the papers if she doesn't look great, she gets put into the papers and there's comments either or. And everyone's going to have a different opinion whether she looks good or different opinion if she looks negative. But why does that matter to you or I? Why does it matter what Kim Kardashian looks like? Why does it matter if she's wearing a certain dress? We don't know what struggle she's had to get into that. She's she's, she's spoken about it. I do think she has a, a voice to kind of say, well, and a platform to say not to promote the quick fix that she did. I do think that's a massive thing of her but what's the difference between her doing quick fixes and diets than a boxer like Katie Taylor or a jockey like Nina Carberry doing fast diets in order to make a weight for a fight or a race what's the difference the only difference is they're not saying this is how I did it they're not saying what they're doing we know in the background that their, their their system and stuff like that isn't potentially healthy. But we also look at Katie's approach potentially. And I would say it's over a longer period of time. Like jockeys' worlds are tough. I remember seeing a documentary with AP McCoy, one of the the, the biggest uh, names in... And the, the struggles that they've had. And there was another one who was quite tall. I can't remember his name now. And he was like, because he was taller, as bone density was a little bit heavier, he had to really like go into saunas and stuff. It's not a healthy approach. But if the difference is... It's the verbal execution of us. It. Like it, toxic, positive, toxic diet culture talks about the good v. bad food, It talks about cutting out food groups and it glorifies that. It promotes extremes. It talks about earning foods and rewards. It talks about shame and food guilt and promotes those. Now, all those combined, you wouldn't let your kids do. So why are you doing them? Why are you aiming for those? And the and the answer probably is, well, I'm at, I'm at my wit's end and I want to get this off once and for all. It's like, yes, but if you look at every other approach you have taken, they've had some sort of toxic diet culture in, whether it's a good food, food group, whether it'd be called a sin for a free food. Like I think it's a sin. If a banana is in its full form, it's, nor, it's a sin. And if it's mushed up, it's not a sin. Like really, it's the same fucking thing. So toxic diet culture, it's out there. It's rampant. I know there's a lot of misinformation on TikTok, there's a lot of information on social media. If someone is saying something and it's saying a food or a supplement is the holy grail and it's the best thing, or it's telling you to take out a food, because I've seen results, take if you take any take out any food, you're going to have weight loss. But you may not be able to keep it as soon as you introduce that food back in. If you're having food guilt, why are you having food guilt? If you have fear around food, why are you having fear around food? It's all learned. It can be dissected and unlearned. But a quick fix or a toxic diet that's been promoted by certain individuals or promoted or pushed is not going to suit you. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon because there's too much money to be made in for individuals. Uh, I don't think the industry is going to be regulated anytime soon. It's too much money for the tax man. It's too much revenue for the individuals. Yeah, I would do an order. If someone's this is this and I haven't ordered their feed, of who to believe and who not to believe, I would probably do that after this podcast and kind of do that um, because it's important where you're taking your information. Because if you're waking up first thing in the morning and you're seeing, I don't know, some massive quads and massive glutes, and they've said they've got to some things. I think well, was it yesterday? I saw some article with one of the women that used to be on Love Island. She, you'd look at her and it's body goals for most people, but she came out and said like I've I was on twelve hundred calories in order to get this quick fix. And now I'm back eating myself. I don't feel comfortable myself, but I know I need to do this to repair myself with my food and my journey and stuff like that. So she said she's done the extreme. She's promoted the extreme, but she's also gone back and said, right, well, it got me to a point, And now I'm trying to actually address the, the issues that are going on around it. I can't remember which individual it is, but it was one of the girls off Love Island.
0: Mm, I guess my next question on that front is, aside from looking at your feed and deciding to assess who and to listen to and who to follow full stop what is the solution but also I want to come back to the relatability of the Kim Kardashian situation is that at the end of the day we know that we're not going to be jumping on a horse or into a boxing ring anytime soon so it's a little less relatable when we see and we're like yeah they're doing these unrealistic things but we all know the feeling well most of us will know the feeling of fitting into a suit or a dress for this big occasion or a bikini uh, or a swimsuit when we head to the beach or the pool so yeah, it's a little harder because of yeah someone like kim kardashian will show up looking amazing and looking at, in her best shape whether or not her dress is tied up at the back with some string like that's a different story but we know that and that's where i think it's a little harder to create those differences so how will you get people to a place where they look into that and just see, okay well this isn't the long-term thing we always see is kim kardashian looks amazing and then all the on the other side it's like well those sporting examples are a little bit unrealistic and i'm also at my wits end with this dieting stuff and they seem to have the answers for me do they have the answers? They or seem they as if they have the as- answers. Yeah.
1: Or are they just getting the validation that you're looking for? That's what I would question. Are they getting the validation you're looking for? A lot of individuals have come down to when you dig into the why enough, it's validation that people want to lose weight. It's the comments from other people. It's the comments for individuals. Unless it's someone has a why of health markers and cholesterol and all that kind of stuff. That's different. But if it's coming down to what well, I want to feel good in my clothes, it's digging out. Why do you want to feel good in your clothes? Because you'll get attention from same gender or general neutral or or the, the opposite sex or whatever. It Maybe it's generally getting those comments, getting that stuff. So it comes down back to what you want. What's your self worth? Like what are your true values. Most people don't have a clue what their, their true values are. Most people don't believe what their core tenants are. Most people don't know what they want in life. Most people are winging life. I did it for years. It's figuring out like why why is weight loss so important to you? Is it that you see Kim Kardashian getting it and getting those amazing comments and also not, you know, you're also not looking at the negative comments that she's potentially getting. You're also seeing the full, the end product. You're not seeing what she's done to get to that point. It's How she suffered. How she damaged herself with her food. How she damaged herself. But who am I to comment on what they, what in, on any individual do? Like it, it doesn't really have a massive impact on me. But if someone is on social media and they're taking that stuff in, I think the individual has a right. To themselves to create their feed and be careful what they're taking in. I think common sense has kind of bl- bl- blurred a lot recently. I think a lot of people have been sucked into the quick fix, the diet culture, that side of stuff, but it wasn't always there. Who are you surrendering yourself with? Like, if you talk about it, like a perfect example would be if you're a teacher and you're sitting in the staff room. And you're sitting beside Salad Susan, who just eats salads. And people make comments on her like, well, I'm being good today because I'm having a salad. But you're not seeing what she's doing in the evenings. She may have more food in the evenings. But people make comments on that food. Oh, she's trying to lose weight. She's being good today. I can't have this. I can't have that. That bread's going to make me fat. like, look who you're surrounding yourself with. Look what information you're taking in. Be aware of that side of things. It's hard to be self-aware if you're not aligned with what your values are.
0: Mm. i always say the values make not necessarily that the choice is easy but it makes the direction that you want to go in far easier so no, i couldn't agree more with that and shane what impact do you want to have on the health and fitness industry when you when you sent me this when
1: the question got sent over it was really interesting um i think for me it's trying to re- remove that kind of like it's trying to provide that education to people that it can be possible to keep yourself in in line with what you want to do whether that be weight loss or whatever it is, and flourish in whatever you want to do. I want to be able to for others to kind of address their things regarding food and kind of learn how to challenge things and look where they've learned them and actually dissect things. I think breaking people away from yo-yo dieting and the quick fixes, that's an awful lot. And I want to be able to be able to stand up on stage someday at some event and like be talking about kind of female health and be able to say like, right, this was what was worth it. Like the small steps about recording the podcast on a weekly basis is is, is the progress to get to that outcome, whether that be a TED talk or whether that be something else. I want to be able to have that platform to be
0: able to spread that word and spread the helpful message to other people. Incredible. And where's the best place for people to find you if they do want to keep up with the work that you're doing? Um, So thank you so much for having me, Elliot. I
1: really, really appreciate it. Um, so the Instagram is at Shane Walsh fitness um, the Shane Walsh fitness podcast is on Apple and iTunes. And then if someone wants to work on myself, you can either pop me a DM through Instagram or www.shanewalshfitness.com is the best place to apply for coaching. And we can book in a free consultation and we
0: can kind of go through there. Amazing. I'll make sure all of those are in the show notes below, but thank you so much for today, Shane. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Elliot. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast.